Amen. You can be seated. Well, one of the funniest things about having kids is when they think they see the real thing, but it's actually not the real thing. Um, let me explain. We have two kids, and both of them, especially when they were small, were amazed with mannequins. Right? Like, especially if the mannequins were done well, if they have nice clothes on, we'd walk into a store and they would just stand there <laughs> in awe of the mannequins. They weren't sure, like, is this a real person or is it not? My two-year-old son loves Captain America. And honestly, I don't know why. We haven't really fed that. Uh, we didn't expose him to it a lot, but I guess he saw, like, a picture of it, and then he was just ballistic for Captain America from then on. And so we'll go for walks in our neighborhood, and every time he sees an American flag, he says, Captain America, Captain America. And we don't ha have the heart to tell the little guy, that's not Captain America. That's the American flag. It's our nation's flag. A little bit different, right? So it's not that he thinks it's Captain America, but it's not. And then this is my favorite, and I know it's going to surprise all of you, but we have a Cowboys, a Dallas Cowboys jersey pillow in our house. And uh, my son's two, and so I remember walking in our bedroom one time, and he has this Cowboys jersey pillow, and he's trying with all of his might to put it over his head and wear it. But he can't because it's not a pillow. I mean, it's not a jersey. It's a pillow. Right? But it's hilarious to see them try to figure out, is this the real thing or it's not? For the Christian, religion is like that. For the Christian, religion is like that because religion looks like the real thing. Sometimes we praise it as the real thing, but it's not. Sometimes even some of us in this room feel like when we're living out religion, we feel like we have a relationship with Jesus because it feels like, it looks like the real thing, but it's not. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going to address this in Philippians. He's going to lay out this counterfeit of religion, and then he's going to bring into the picture the real thing. And so grab a Bible. We're going to look at that together this morning. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. If you don't have one, there should be one right in front of you. Grab that, head to Philippians 3, and as you turn there, I'm going to pray for us. Father in heaven, I, I thank you for these men and women this morning. I thank you for a few moments to see what, what the real thing is, what a real relationship with Jesus looks like, that there's a joy beyond religion, and it's found in Jesus. God, I pray for my heart and for our hearts in this room, that in this moment, God, that you would break down walls of pride, that you would remove distractions of busyness, that really everything we think everyone else is thinking about us, that you would throw that out the window. And God, we would focus on Jesus and on ourselves and see what are you going to teach us this morning. And we pray that you would do that. I pray right now in this moment, that God, that you would change us, you would transform us by your spirit through your word this morning. Father, that is our prayer, and we ask that now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll go ahead and look at the text with me. We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 3 in Philippians. It says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. But look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in in the flesh. 
So Paul starts off verse 1 with this theme of Philippians, this theme of joy. Like we've seen that over and over in Philippians. What we've seen about joy is that it's not found in you. Like our joy goes beyond us. It goes beyond our circumstances, our struggle, our doubt. Our joy goes beyond us. Right? We've seen that throughout Philippians. He goes back to that theme of joy. And what you need to know as we start a new church is that this isn't the way to grow a big church. You just need to know that. Not a lot of people get super excited about them hearing, it's not about you. Right? It's not about you. People don't get super stoked about that, right? So you need to know if on the front end that that doesn't get people super excited. Honestly, sometimes it doesn't get us super excited, but that's what we see in the Bible, is that our joy goes beyond ourselves. In fact, it goes beyond ourselves because it's a denying of self. It's a looking to God and looking to others. I mean, just think about the book of Philippians. Some of you are thinking we talk about the same thing every week because we kind of do, right? We talk about loving God. We talk about loving other people. We talk about our joy being found in those things and not within ourselves. Because of this, some people, some pastors, some churches will talk about joy and they'll make it about you. Like some books you read, authors you read, podcasts you listen to, they'll, they'll say, well, actually it is about you. It's about your interests. It's about your preferences. It's about your health, wealth, and prosperity. Because they want to invite people in. Just so you know, we're not going to do that. We're always going to talk about what the Bible says. Because there's a huge problem with your joy being found in you. Not only is it not sustainable, but it's not biblical. And we see that in the Bible. We see that in Philippians. And Paul goes back to that in verse 1. Rejoice in who? Yourself? No. Your wealth? Your prosperity? No. Rejoice in the Lord. And Paul knows he's beating the same drum. Isn't this great? Paul says, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me. Paul says, I can do this all day. Like, I'm going to keep coming back to this because he knows what you and I know, right? That we're going to keep coming back to this. That we're always going to look for joy in ourselves, and he's going to keep reminding us that it's not found there. It's found in Jesus. It's found in others. And so he starts off, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says something interesting. He says, this joy in the Lord is to keep us safe. It's to keep us safe. So what's the danger? Look at verse 2. He says, look out three times. Look out for dogs, look out for evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That one kind of sticks out. What does all this mean? Paul is dealing with false teachers who are really emphasizing rituals. Rituals like circumcision. Circumcision, if you're not familiar, in the Old Testament was an external sign of an internal covenant with God. So circumcision in and of itself was not a bad thing. Like it was a a good, holy, and right thing. But there were people that made it the ultimate thing. And so Paul is going to say, look out for those people. He calls them dogs. He gets into name calling. Dogs in that day, they weren't pets. Dogs would eat trash instead of food. And so he's saying they're, they're taking something what it should be and making it something else. And he says they mutilate the, the flesh because they've made it all about this external ritual, not about the internal transformation. So it's really just a mutilation of the flesh. And then he contrasts that ritual with our relationship. Look at verse 3. He says, look out for that, for we are this. For we are what? The circumcision. This isn't something you hear a lot. Like we don't go around chanting, for we are the circumcision. 
That's not what we do, right? That would be kind of weird if we did that. Um, But what he's saying, and he goes on to say three things that this means. That we're the circumcision because of worship, because of glory, because of confidence. Do you see that in verse 3? Worship, glory, confidence. That our worship is by the Holy Spirit. That it's changed us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit seals us when we meet Jesus, and it changes us from the inside out. So we worship by the Spirit. That our glory is in Jesus Christ, not what we have done. Right? We don't boast glory. We don't take glory in anything we have done as Christians. Right? It's all in what Jesus has done on our behalf. So we don't glory in us. We glory in Jesus Christ. So we're the circumcision in that way. And the third thing, there's no confidence externally in rituals. It's about a relationship. There's no confidence in the flesh. We have worship by the Spirit. We glory in Jesus Christ. And we have no confidence in rituals because there's something more. There's a relationship with Jesus. When my wife and I got married, it involved a ritual, right? We had a ceremony. We exchanged vows. We lit a candle. Actually, I don't know if we lit a candle, but we exchanged vows for sure. (laughs) And uh, I should probably remember that. Uh, We exchanged vows, right? Um, We handed over the rings. We had some rituals. That's how our, our marriage officially started with a ritual, But those of you who are married know that marriage is way more than a ritual. It's a relationship. And it's evident even as you leave the wedding ceremony, right? i got to remember, we were holding hands, running outside the doors, marriage bliss, bubbles flying everywhere, and we're running outside, everybody's cheering, and we jump in the car. And you know what we didn't do? We didn't dash out of that wedding ceremony and start hashing out our vows. Like, when you said this, what if I do this, though? Would you still do that? Like, we didn't hash that out. Because it wasn't a contract. It wasn't just a ritual. We didn't need to hash that out. We began a relationship. We went to Cabo San Lucas. That's what we did. We began to get to know one another, to adore one another, to love one another, to grow in that, to start a relationship. Because it was... A ritual, and that ritual wasn't bad, but it wasn't all there was. There was a relationship that was just beginning. It's the same way in the Christian life. Are there some rituals that we take part in? Absolutely. They're good. They're not bad, but when we take them out of context, when we disconnect them from Jesus, they're pointless. And Paul goes on to talk about that. Some of you, this is all you've experienced, right? Some of you, you've only seen the ritual. Like maybe it was growing up, maybe it was in your 20s, maybe it was in your 30s, maybe it was in your 40s. Maybe at some point, that's all you saw was the ritual. We, we know people like that. We have people in our family like this. My wife's sister, she experienced rituals growing up in the church, and she's really never come back. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you made it here today. But you're just coming back to check it out and hope that there's something more than a ritual. For some of you, that's all you've experienced in the Christian life, in the church. For some of you, right now, that's what you're living. You may not even realize it, but that's what you're living. You're going through rituals. You're going through the motions. You're putting on a show. You're playing a game, if you're honest. You're going through rituals, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you don't know Jesus. 
I know that's scary to say, but if you've only gone through rituals your whole life and there's never been a heart connection where you began to know Jesus, pursue Jesus, and love Jesus, you may not know Jesus. That's God's grace to you to hear that. That's God's love to you to hear that because I want you to meet him this morning. That can happen this morning. You need to place your faith in him, give up your rituals, give up your sin, give up your distraction, and give your life to Jesus. And begin today pursuing him. You can do that today. Some of you know Jesus, but if you're honest, you slip in and out of cycles of rituals and you forget about the relationship. There's a duty without a devotion. There's spiritual activity without spiritual intimacy. For some of you, that's where you're living right now. And you need to know, you need to ask yourself, do I have a relationship with Jesus? We have to start there. Do I have a relationship? And part of that means, do I know Jesus? But also part of that means just functionally. Maybe you know Jesus, but is it a relationship or is it just a ritual? We have to start there because that's where Paul starts. And then he continues in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. And then he says this, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. (laughs) It's great. Verse 5. He begins to list off his confidence in the flesh. He says, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count Everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. There's a lot in there, but what Paul is saying is this. You're trying to come up with a list. I've done that too, and I've done it better than you. Like, you're trying to come up with a list. You all have lists. I've done it too, but I've done it better. And he goes off to list that in five and six. And he gives us seven reasons. This was intentional by Paul. Seven was the perfect number for the Jewish culture. And so Paul gives us seven reasons on his list of why he has more confidence in the flesh than you. Look at the verses. You can see them right there. The first thing is circumcised on the eighth day. Paul says, you care about circumcision? I was circumcised on the eighth day. So not only am I abiding by the Abrahamic covenant, but I'm also abiding by the Levitical standard of day eight. The second thing he says is he's of the people of Israel. So Paul is actually a Jew, one of the chosen people of God. And not only that, he gets more specific. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. This is his family lineage, the line that stayed truthful to the Davidic king. The next thing he says is he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. What Paul is saying is that lots of people probably read their Bible. I read it in the original language. And I know a lot of it by heart in the original language. That's what he's saying. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. The next thing he says is he's a Pharisee. In the Jewish system, a Pharisee is the best law follower you could find. And you don't get to name yourself a Pharisee. It's not like Dr. Dre. You don't just give yourself that title, right? You have to work to become a Pharisee. You have to go to Jerusalem. You have to study. You have to stay there. And then you become a Pharisee. Paul's saying, I've done that. I'm a Pharisee. The sixth thing, he says, I'm a persecutor of the church. Some of you know Paul's story before he became a Christian. Like he says, I have this zeal. I believe in this so much that I gave my life to it. 
The seventh thing and the final thing he says is he's blameless in regard to the law. Paul says, there's a list and I followed it, that I'm blameless. There's this list, the seven things of law, family, tradition, knowledge. Paul says, I've done all that and I've done it better than you. (laughs) Paul has his list, right? We all have our list and they're different. Like we have different variations of lists. And I've experienced this even just in the different cities that I've lived in. Uh, we've lived in a few cities. We actually calculated the other day. Since we've been married, we've lived in five different cities in nine years. Uh, I, I honestly, until two days ago, I didn't realize that. <laughs> so we've lived in a few different places, right? And um, one of the things I, I noticed about when we lived in Texas was that they had a list. And it was something like, don't drink, don't cuss, don't smoke, and shake hands and kiss babies. That was their list. And then we moved to, to Portland, and honestly, it was the opposite. It was the opposite. It was drink, actually, go ahead and cuss, and don't get too excited and grow a beard. Uh, that was pretty much Portland. And then now Phoenix, it's a variation of the two. It's more like Texas than, than Portland, probably. We can all agree on that. Uh, so it's a variation of the two, and you add some bumper stickers in there. Um, <laughs> But we all have these lists, like the cities that you live in, the culture that you live in, the subculture that you live in, even in Phoenix, the people you hang out with, this list of things we say, things we don't say, the places we go, the places we don't go. We all have these lists. And some of you, these lists are are running through your head right now. Like you're very in tune, like, yeah, I got my list. Like I write it down. It's in my Evernote. Some of you have these lists, but some of you are unaware. Some of you don't even realize You're just going through the motions. Every night at dinner, we'll ask my two children, like, what did you do today? Like, what was the best part of your day? And we know what they did, but it's just to create conversation. And so we'll ask them these questions. And my five-year-old, she'll usually say something rather astute. And my two-year-old, always, no matter what, no matter the day, no matter what he did, no matter what the best part of his day actually was, he says two things. He says, I go gym, I go park, because that's all he does. (laughs) Poor little guy. All he does is go to the gym, go to the park. And so we'll ask him, like, Ashman, what was the best part of your day? And he'll say, I go gym, I go park. And he's so excited about it. He loves it. Poor little guy. But that's his response, and some of us are kind of like that, right? Someone will ask you, are you a Christian? We'll say, I go church. I go Bible study. We'll say, how are you doing spiritually? You'll say, I listen to podcasts. I have Christian friends. And we've totally disconnected these rituals, this standard, this list from the person of Jesus Christ. And some of us aren't even aware that that's where we are. Some of us are, but some of us aren't. We just go through the motions. We follow our list. We pursue a standard instead of a person. And listen, your list isn't bad. Most of it probably isn't bad. Like the Christian friends you hang out with, those are good. The podcasts you listen to, those are good. The Bible studies that you attend, even if there's more than one, they're all good. But if they're disconnected from Jesus, they're pointless. Paul goes on to say they're rubbish. Like there's another word for that in the original language. He's making it clear that all of these things that you do aren't the goal, that Jesus is the goal. And some of us sit there this morning, 
And we need to ask, like, is that where we are? Because in verses 7 and 8, he says it's all loss of rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing who? Jesus. Listen, being under the Bible is important, but it's not sufficient. Memorizing scriptures is critical, but it won't change you. Church attendance, prayer meetings, Christian friends, reading your Bible, all those things are really good things. But if they're disconnected from Jesus, then we're off the rails. If we disconnect those things from Jesus as a church, then we're off the rails. We always need to go back to, why are we doing these things? Did it originate with a relationship? Are we growing in that relationship? Are we knowing Jesus? Have we experienced what Paul talks about, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus? Do you talk about Jesus that way? Is knowing Jesus to you a a burden or is it a blessing? Is it a list or is it a person to pursue? We need to always come back to that as believers, as a church, and ask that question. And if we're there, what do we do? Once we ask that question, if we're there, what do we do? Verse 7, we count it as loss. We count it as loss. When I was in college, my best friend Marshall got married. And we were kind of almost out of college, 23-ish years old. And I just remember thinking, he was my first friend that got married. And I remember thinking and telling him, like, dude, what are you thinking? Like, have you thought this through? Like, you know... We're not going to get to watch football together anymore. We're not going to just get to go out to eat and go hang out with our buddies anymore like we used to. Like, you're going to have to go shopping and say, yeah, that dress is cute. (laughs) Like, have you really thought this thing through? And and he responded, and he said, yeah, I, I know all that. I think I know most of that, but she's better. Like, Shannon is beautiful, outside and in, she's better, I want her, and we'll figure out how to watch football later. We'll DVR it. Because she's better. At 23 years old, he said, I know what I'm giving up, and it's a loss compared to her. And I I would say, and respond and say, well, I'm at least five years away from that. I mean, you know, there may be a girl I'm interested in, but five years. I'm on the five-year plan. What happened? I met Jaya, right? And everything changed because all those things I wanted to hold on to became a loss because she was better. Do you see that? In your marriage, you feel that way. In your relationship with Jesus, you need to feel that way, that the ultimate goal is him. When I decided I was going to go into the ministry, I remember thinking about, well, I need to start serving more and doing more and, and doing stuff for God, not necessarily with God, but do stuff for God. And if I'm honest, I was building a resume, not a relationship. And this cycle went on for a while, and a guy just grabbed me and said, hey, let's look at the scriptures and focus on grace. Because I'm not sure you're too familiar with that concept. And so we began to look at the scriptures. We began to meet and just look at the scriptures and dive into this idea of grace. And it grabbed me and never let go. My eyes were opened up to what Jesus had done for me, not what I could do for him. It radically transformed my life. And I began to shift my focus. I began to see the greater goal. I began to count other things as a loss as I pursued Jesus Christ. Have you come to that point in your life? 
Have you come to a point where you see Jesus as he is, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ, the person and work of Jesus, and you run to him, not a list. You pursue him, not a standard. And then what happens? If you've come to that, you know. Once you start to pursue Jesus as the ultimate reward and goal, you start to do the things that were on your list. Like if you were going to create a list, you start to do those things that would be on that list. Because you're starting with a person, not a standard. So we need to ask this morning, are we pursuing a standard? Are we trying to perfect our standard? Or are we pursuing passionately Jesus Christ, his person, his work? He keeps going in verse uh, verse 9. He says this, that we're found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul starts off verse 9 and says he's found in him. What he means by this is that Jesus does the work, that we don't find Jesus, we don't go out and seek Jesus. In fact, in Romans it says no one does that. But Jesus comes and finds us. That if you know Jesus, he has found you. That you are in him. And because of that, you are set free. You don't have to earn your right standing with God. Listen to me. You don't have to earn your righteousness with God. You can't. He has done that for you in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death on your behalf. You're freed from earning so you can enjoy. So you can enjoy. So you can enjoy the person of Jesus. And if we're honest, some of us are wrapped up in a list so far that we're just in this exhausting cycle. We're, we're pursuing this list. We're pursuing a standard. And we've forgotten about Jesus. We have this great grand list, but there's one problem. We've left off the person of Jesus. And we're trying to earn our righteousness. And some of us are exhausted. Like some of us walk in here this morning and are completely drained because we're just trying to earn. We wake up in the morning, we think, I've got to earn, I've got to do, I've got to keep going. And we go to bed at night, we lay in bed, and we think, why didn't I achieve my list? Like, what am I doing with my life? Where is this thing even going? I'm such a failure. Because you're trying to earn your righteousness that Paul says was wrought for you at the cross through faith in Jesus Christ. That that's where it starts. It's like our taxes. We're in tax season right now. Every year, I've always filed my own taxes, but this year we decided to pay somebody to do that so I don't go to jail. And um, that would be a bad thing. And so we we're paying somebody to do my taxes for the first time. And, but usually, I don't know how your software is, but my software would show me the number in the right-hand corner of the screen, like the number of the money that I was going to get back. And as I would file my taxes and fill out all the forms, I would look at that number. And sometimes that number would get bigger. And we would get really excited. I'd be like, J.S., start planning the vacation. Because we're going to get all this money back, and it's going to be really exciting. And I would see that number, and I would fill out another form, and something weird would happen. That number would go down. Um, and I used to own my own business, and there were some weird things with that. And so that number would go down, and sometimes it would go in the red. So not only was I not getting money back, but now I owed money. It's an awful swing on the pendulum, right? 
excited, joyful, plan on the vacation to, come on, IRS? I was proud to be an American before that. Like, I don't want to pay my taxes. Who wants to do that? So there was this swing on the pendulum to this depression of like, I don't want to do that. That can't be true. We got to check. We got to double check some stuff. Get the receipts. And we go through that swing on the pendulum in our taxes, but a lot of us go through that swing on the pendulum in our Christian life. Like we're, we're keeping score. We're, we're looking at our list and we're, saying, we're checking things off. I did that. I didn't do that. Well, that was kind of good. That was not so good. Um, and we keep score in our heads. And we have this number in our heads and it goes up and we get excited and we celebrate. We come to church. We're happy. Hey, man, how are you doing? How are you doing spiritually? How can I pray for you? We, we're thriving spiritually. But then we fail in that list. And we come to church the next Sunday. We don't talk to anybody. We're standoffish. Maybe we don't even show up because we fail and we think, I've blown it. And we go through this pendulum swing back and forth of self-righteousness to shame, self-righteousness to shame, self-righteousness to shame. Some of you, that's a daily thing. It's a never-ending vicious cycle. Is that where you are this morning? Have you had a season of your life where, if you're honest, that's where you are. You're going from self-righteousness to shame, and you've totally forgotten about what Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross. That you don't have to earn your righteousness, that you're freed up to enjoy Jesus. And Paul says you're freed up to do that no matter what the situation, no matter what the cost, and that eventually you'll do that forever. He says that you get to know the power of his resurrection that you also share in his sufferings. He's saying that you're freed up to pursue Jesus, to know Jesus, to become like Jesus through suffering, through death, through ultimate victory, that you're going to get to see Jesus face to face and enjoy him for eternity. He says your earning has been replaced by enjoying Jesus forever. That being freed up from this list and this cycle, this keeping score, doesn't make you want to go sin a lot, right? It frees you up to enjoy Jesus, which is your intended purpose. It frees you up to know Jesus and pursue him as your ultimate goal, as your ultimate passion. That's what Paul is describing. Listen, for a lot of us, religion looks like the real thing. It just does. No matter what your maturity in your Christian life, no matter where you are, religion can look like the real thing. At least there can be cycles. And some of you know this. And some of you are living this way. Like you go to church, you go to Bible studies, you have Christian friends, you read the right things, you say the right things, and you don't say the other things. But if you're honest, you have grown cold in your relationship with Jesus. You've grown cold in your relationship with Jesus. There's no conviction anymore. There's no passion anymore. There's no joy anymore. Like maybe even right now, you're just, you're here because you're here. Because that's what you do on a Sunday morning. And your joy has been stripped from you because all you're doing is pursuing a standard and not a person. All you're doing is spiritual achievement and not spiritual intimacy. For some of you, that's where you are this morning. And you've grown cold. You don't have that relationship that's centered on joy and Jesus and knowing him and pursuing him and loving him. So what do we do? What do we do? If, if that's us, if that's you this morning, how do we respond to that? 
There's this great picture in Revelation chapter 2. It's written by John to the church at Ephesus. John talks about, in verses 2 and 3, he lists off their works. He lists off a lot of religious things that they have done really well. And he, he gives them accolades for it. He affirms that. He says these are good things. Revelation 2, he, said, he lists off all these things, all these ways they've served, all their works, all, the, all their toil for God. And he says these are good things. You've done these things well. But he says this in verse 4. He says, the one thing I have against you is you have abandoned your first love. He says, you've done all these things. They're all great. But I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. For some of us, that describes our relationship with Jesus. We've abandoned our first love. So if that's you, what do you do? How do you respond to that? John gives two things in verse 5. He says to remember and he says to repent. He says to remember and repent. So if that's you this morning, you would take a few moments to remember. Do you remember when you first met Jesus? Do you remember that? Like, how did it happen? What did you think? What did you feel? How did you respond? When you first met Jesus, when your eyes were opened to the truth of the gospel, that you were a sinner but that God made you for more than that, that he rescued you out of that sin, gave you his righteousness, that you get to know him, enjoy him, and love him forever. Do you remember that this morning? Can you remember that? Take a few moments to remember when you first met Jesus, when you were so passionate about the scriptures, when you were so passionate about serving Jesus and praying for others, that it wasn't a duty, that it was a devotion to God, that it was a joy for you. Do you remember that? You need to take a few moments to remember. And then the second thing he says is to repent. To repent. That you would replace a pursuing a standard with pursuing a person. That you would give Jesus not only your sin, your distraction, but also your religion. That you would remember him and that you would repent. That you would repent. That you would turn away from your religion, from your list, and you would go to your first love. You would go to Jesus. You would go to his person and his work. Some of you need to make that declaration today. You need to remember and you need to repent. And you need to tell Jesus. You need to tell Jesus this. You need to say to him, Jesus, I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of following a list. I'm tired of playing a game in the Christian life with my Christian friends in the church. Because it's not worth it that it's all a loss compared to knowing you. Some of you need to take that moment today and respond that way to Jesus. Is Jesus your ultimate pursuit? As we sit here this morning, can you say, is Jesus my ultimate pursuit? Or have I gotten sidetracked? Like, is that true for you this morning? If not, what needs to change so it is? Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for... Jesus, I thank you for his perfect life, his death on the cross for our sin. God, I thank you for his death for our religion. I thank you for his death that paid for even our to-do lists, our checklists, our self-righteousness. 
God, I thank you that your perfect life, your death on the cross, paid for that forever, for past, present, and future. Not just sin, but our religion. And that there's a joy beyond that because you rose again. That you rose again in victory over sin, over death, and over religion over our list, over our earning, so that we could enjoy you. God, I pray this morning that wouldn't just be something we talk about or sing about. It would be something we experience. And we need your help for that. I pray for these men and women. I pray that however they woke up this morning, that they would know, they would know without a shadow of a doubt that they are loved, accepted, and forgiven by the God of the universe, not because of what they have done or what they can do in the future, but because of what you have done through the personal work of Jesus. Father, help that to become real in our lives. Help us to pursue you and be changed by you so that those things in our life that we do come out naturally as an overflow of your love working through us. God, I pray that we would be a church like that. I pray that as people see us, they wouldn't see a list. They wouldn't see a standard that they have to come under. They would see the relentless grace of Jesus Christ. Father, we would be known for that as a people. Man, I just, I get excited thinking, what would that look like in the city of Phoenix if we live that way? What would that look like in our neighborhoods if we lived that way? If we drew people to a person, not a list of things to do, God, I, I just think people would be changed by that. And I pray that you would change us and you would change our neighborhood. You would change this city for your glory and our joy. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.